I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Well, this is episode 100 of the Food About Town podcast. Before we talk about this week's episode, I just wanted to thank everybody for being loyal listeners over the years. I've grown a lot as an interviewer, changed equipment, um, built my own studio, and I continue to have a great time doing this podcast. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening and sharing this out and voting for Food About Town for Best Podcast every year. And I can't wait to do another 100 episodes. So without further ado, uh, episode 100 is a little special episode with Lynn Phillips from Sriracha Says. I've been talking to her since she started doing the blog on and off. And it took us, geez, it took us almost three years to have her over. And, you know, we went through, went through the whole process, went through how she started doing it, um, you know, part of her day job, how she tackles being, uh, being a, you know, being a well-known person here in Rochester and how, you know, how she optimizes what she does. I know I learned a few things and you know, we kind of hashed out a few things at the same time. Maybe they're all in my head, but we hashed them out nonetheless, kind of Mark Marin style from WTF. But uh, I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do, please share it out on social media. You can tag Sriracha Says when you share it out, and I really appreciate it if you do. This is a special episode, episode 100, and I got a lot more great episodes waiting for everybody coming up soon. Thanks for listening, and thank you again for being part of the first 100 episodes of the Food About Town podcast. are getting slightly longer, but it's still Rochester winter outside. But I've brought a, well, what, what would you call yourself? Are, are you a Rochester celebrity officially now? Well, I don't know about Rochester celebrity, but I would say a food and drink blogger. Oh, well, you're definitely that. <laughs> I would say D-list D celebrity. Oh, D-list <laughs> celebrity. I, I feel I feel honored. This is, this is great. So um, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey guys, this is Lynn Phillips. I do a food and drink blog called Sriracha Says. It's really? Yeah. Well, no, hold on a second. <laughs> no, of course my is my my computer's ringing. See, this is this is great. Who's calling? I don't know. Is it what? Carrie? No, she wouldn't call me. I mean, she, one, she should know better. We're we're recording. This is serious business. We don't take phone calls unless I open up the phone call lines. <laughs> is it? Is it someone listening live right now who oh, wants that, to ask a question? That would be great. Um, I, I, and if we would have planned better, I would have we would have put it out there and had people take calls. Because yes. that is fun. Um, and you've, well, you've done things before when you've taken calls, right? I have. I've done Polly Guglielmo's Food and Wine Show, and he's had uh, some some live callers to come in and ask questions. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, dealing with live callers? Yeah. There, it's it's always interesting because you never know what questions you're going to field and, and what they're going to bring up or want to know. And it's kind of on the spot, on the fly. You have to yeah. answer whatever, you know, whatever you're kind of gravitating towards. It's also kind of, um, I've, I've done his show a few times. I did it in studio once or twice and out on wherever it was a couple times. And the fast-paced nature of it when, they're asked, when people ask you questions and they expect quick answers. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I'm sure you've got the same kind of thing going on with this encyclopedic knowledge or somewhat encyclopedic knowledge of the Rochester food scene and people expect any genre, anything, and you can go bam, 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 bam as much as they want right away. Yes, for sure. I think that's the most popular question that I get from different, 
direct messaging, you know, I'm taking my friend to this, uh, to dinner, we're celebrating, where should we go? You know, my husband and I are Valentine's Day, what, where should we go? What should we do? So a lot of questions like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I get it often. And I, 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 you tend to rattle off the same places over time. You kind of have to get a patter going when you talk to random people on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it's weird. I'm sure it happens to you a lot more than it happens to me. But I, I still, I was I was at, uh, where was I? It was at, uh, oh, the Bar Bantam, their first, uh, we're recording this, what, a few days after they had their opening day. Mm-hmm. I was there on Friday and just talking, probably talking more than I should as is typical. <laughs> and so he's like, wait. It's loud, Chris. Yeah. So, oh, oh, I, I know that voice. This is, oh, you do the podcast. I'm like, it's still a little weird, but I'm sure you, you kind of have to get used to it, right? It, it is. I think I was uh, at Nosh the other day and someone was right behind us and I was with my girlfriends eating dinner and someone said, I love your blog. And it's still kind of, you know, it's it's been three years, but it's still this kind of weird thing that you're kind of like, oh, they they're actually reading it. They recognize who you are kind of thing. And it's it's humbling. But at the same time, you don't want to uh, y- you also want to meet people in person, connect with them, too. So it, I think the more it's happened, the more I've become more acclimated to it. Yeah. But it's still a little surprising when it does happen. Yeah. Well, you well, that's also self-selecting by going to somewhere like Nosh, um, because that's kind of. I mean, Nash has been one of the places over the last, actually, I think this is an interesting topic to talk about. So Nash is one of those places that, that really popped that first year after it opened. Um, what, they opened the beginning of 2017-ish? Yeah. yeah, I think it's been over a year and a half now that they've been open. Yeah. And I think they, I even remember going in the first time and I thought they just did a really good job that it didn't feel like it was their first nice yeah serving and they had a, a good flow and a good routine going i love the kind of asian southwest flavors that they integrated with with chef joe's background um they had some just new exciting dishes that i thought were uh, were something that was was something that really was helpful to bring to that nota neighborhood yeah and it's kind of a crossover restaurant it's it's got that modern style um, it's again, hard to define what modern style is, mm-hmm. but it's kind of the quintessential modern style restaurant. It's big, it's, you know, high ceilings, it's loud. It's got a big bustling bar area. Yeah. Um, and the foods, you know, it's that hybrid of approachable, creative, not quite diners, drive-ins and dives food, but it's not, it's not like high end refined either. It's kind of that crossover appealing to, um, uh, what would you say it appeals to? I think that appeals to the the Instagram foodie crowd. I would say so too. I think they do a nice mix of doing seafood and a lot of meats on there too. I love the ahi nachos is definitely like a crowd pleaser. Sure. I was kind of bummed to hear that they're not doing brunch anymore, which yeah, I I saw that. Yeah. I actually had been there twice for brunch and really enjoyed their brunch. And I think they take a creative approach on the names and the naming conventions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those places that really popped. And I, I find that it's, when you go to places, the reason I brought it up was I was at the Bar Bantam thing. It was, you know, Friday, this day after they opened. And my wife was remarking how many, just how many general people I knew there. And I think it was nine or ten. We, we were there for an hour and change, and I knew nine or ten different people over that course of time. And it's it's surprising still when you know that many people mm-hmm. out I mean, I was I wasn't a great social person when I started doing this thing, <laughs> and now I know ten people at a place. Yeah, I I even think back to like when you and I first met, and then over time we were going to the same events and yeah. doing the same things, and and just expected to to see you there and to, <laughs> right. see, to see other you know people who were supporting the food community there. So I I think it was just a nice way to connect with other people and kind of celebrate how the community was growing with food and just kind of how vibrant the culture was growing too. Right. So let's, let's take a step back then. And so you started, Sriracha says, you said one about three years ago now? Three years ago, October, 2014 was the official launch date. So a little over three years now. A little over three years. And so it started as a website, right? It started as a website. I had 
Facebook and Instagram. I had not yet ventured into the land of Twitter yet. Yeah, tw- Twitter, <laughs> Twitter's an interesting, it's an interesting place. I'm still not so sure about it. it. It's a different animal for sure. But I think when I first started, I just wanted to kind of keep it simple, had built up content before I started and thought, hey, Facebook and Instagram were definitely channels I wanted to reach an audience through. So... We keep on adjusting microphones. <laughs> we're, we're we're getting we're getting better, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that's one of the things that you know I noted right away when I saw what you were doing was it was thought out. This wasn't just a hey, let's start writing things, and you know I've seen so many of those kind of things where somebody comes out for you know two or three things and then they disappear forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was the thing I noted right away was how it seemed well planned out, it seemed thought out. It was six months in the making. I had, you know, graduated from grad school. I had some more free time on my hands. Where'd you go for grad school? I went to grad school at U of R at the, the Simon Business School. Okay. And I went there part-time. Went to, I worked full-time at Constellation Brands doing market research for wine and spirits. And I have always loved kind of supporting the food scene here and was always the one in my circle of friends, checking out new spots, be the one person that they would always ask for advice on and so yeah so then I decided to kind of pour that personal hobby and morph it into Sriracha Says and just kind of you know it wasn't a brand new idea there were certainly other people promoting the food scene and wanting to highlight different restaurants and whatnot but like we talked about before I wanted to put my own unique spin on it and just kind of put the energy into places that I really enjoyed and just make a really helpful easy to follow guide on people can easily follow hey brunch spots or dinner spots right and, you know always thinking of different topics yeah and I and I think that was the other thing that I noted was um when you popped up it was kind of you were the oh geez how do I want to say this you were the first of the you know, the Instagram food people is what it turned out to be, really, was that you you had the Instagram thing down pat right as it was starting to really explode um, here in town and how how quickly that was, you know, impactful on the on the scene here. Yeah, I think I think it was a ripe time to to start the Instagram. I, I think at that point it wasn't perhaps as saturated as as perhaps it is now. So I think starting then was a great starting point and it grew, I think, organically just from friends and family starting to read it first. And then I think it caught on from my initial brunch post, I believe. And yeah, people that's a started big one. sharing it and it, it's, it's, you know, everyone loves their brunch, right? Of Who course. doesn't love a good brunch? Well, and it really, what do pe- people love lists? Right. They really do. And it's something that, you know, you did really well. And I think the tone of what you do, there's a lot of excitement to everything that you write and the way that you portray all of these cool food things that we have in town. It's mm-hmm. There's a lot of excitement to it. I will say that the, an, another common question that I get is, you know, why don't you talk more about the places that you don't like mm. or leave negative reviews? Or I, I, <laughs> I, I might have been I might have been angling towards that. <laughs> or Sriracha says, why don't you, you know, why don't you, do you always just have awesome experiences? Is, yeah. is another question I got. And my answer to that was, you know, I, I'm, you know, just much like everyone else have my mix of both good and bad experiences. And I just choose to focus on the ones that I really have a lot of energy towards and mm. the ones that I don't, I just don't invest in. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it's not necessarily a bad way of doing things. It, it was one of those at the time. I remember when you started, I was still writing uh, restaurant reviews in the city newspaper and part of like part of my mission was to be a you know warts and all kind of guy, mm-hmm. um, and it it was one of those things at the time like oh how can you just write about the positives? Mm-hmm. And I think over time that you know I've changed my I've changed my mind on that somewhat. Now I'm you know, I still I still think it's important that there's a cross section of people that are doing doing different things. There should be people talking about the negatives still. Because we're not we're not where we should be. We're not an accomplished food scene yet, as far as I'm concerned. I think we still need to be critiquing. We need to be saying, "Hey, you can improve in these areas." But the fact that we've gotten so much more energy around the food scene over the last few years, I think that's in large part to people who 
bring that excitement and bring that, hey, you really should go out because this is awesome and you need to be out there and doing cool things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's fair to have, you know, uh, your perspective on things and have a tactful review, you know, and, yeah. and if you didn't have a good experience to share it through different platforms. And I am, I am all for, uh, you know, when I go to different cities, I read Eater, Thrillist, Yelp, what have you. And I do appreciate those kind of unbiased reviews too. I also would say that I always want to make sure that I don't at the same time, don't want to taint other people's experiences too. And mm. I can imagine certain people, if they read a bad Yelp review, for, for instance, they'll be like, okay, well, that was a bad review, so I'm not going to go. And oh, not yeah. saying that I'm that type of person, but it, it happens. You know, sure. you can easily persuade someone to not go to something based on, on one review, um, but not to like harp on Yelp because, you know, I'm, hey, I, I, started I use on Yelp, Yelp a lot. And yeah, I write your reviews, Chris. Yeah. I, they have brought me to many different restaurants. Yeah, that's that's where I started. <laughs> I, I I say it often because I think there is there's probably a little bit more maligning than there should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's the quantity of people now that use it is so wide, and the you know, it's not dense with just the food nerds anymore. Mm-hmm. It's anybody and everybody, and it's kind of you know, it, you have to really find the people you trust. And there's people on there who I trust implicitly. Mm-hmm. I trust their opinions um, as much as my own, if not more so. And I'm always happy to read their reviews and learn what they have to say. Agreed. Yeah. I, there's a couple people that I follow that I know that they have good points of view and perspective and I will follow them and, and appreciate when they have something to share. So yeah. I, I see at both ends of the ends of the story. I think there's a platform and I think that's what makes us all different. Right. And yeah, you know, people might ask me, are you a food critic? And so I don't know if I would qualify myself. I mean, I do know a fair amount about food and, but I, my personal kind of vendetta, at my blog is not to be a food critic, if that right. makes sense. No, absolutely. And mm-hmm. it's when I, if if somebody asks me like like what what is that compared to what you do? Well, we're completely different. And we were talking before we started how you know over the last you know three years, uh, how many different people have come into the food realm here in town. And you know, obviously, there's a lot of Instagram things now. Mm-hmm. It's really there's people that are purely Instagram, which is uh, still, still shocking to me. I, mm-hmm. I just, I, I'm technically like at the top end of the millennial thing, but I'm, it's, it's not me. I, I don't see Instagram as the end all be all. I mm-hmm. see that as for me, a portal to tell people about other things I'm doing, Right. which, and something I want to talk about towards, maybe towards the end is <laughs> why I'm terrible at social media. <laughs> You're uh, not Chris. Uh, but, um, what the hell was I saying? Oh, the, um, how we've kind of all striated ourselves in this area and everybody's doing different things. Now we've got people doing YouTube shows mm-hmm. uh, or video shows on different platforms, whether it's Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. Uh, we've got people doing pure Instagram. We've got, you know, people in the newspapers still, and everybody has this different, these different angles to take on it. And yeah. I found it really fascinating. I think it goes to show that there's so much room, right? Yeah. There's the, it, you can be there can be one food blogger, but they can be specializing in a certain thing. And even though our community may be smaller in comparison to some other big metropolitan cities, there's enough room for everyone, right? So there's enough room to share. That's why I think when you know people get caught up in like trying to compete with one another and uh, with one another, I'm just like, you know what? I'm they may be we may be. Sp- you know, ha- narrowing in on, on similar content, mm. but we have a unique voice and we have our unique spin on it too. Yeah. So, I mean, what, so you, you've got your, you've got the, the style of the post, you've got the, you've got the list, you've got the, you know, that angle about being excited about everything. Where does your passion for food come from? Like why, why, why food and not something else? Cause I'm sure you've got other things you love to do too. Yeah. I think when I first started, it was you know, do I do a lifestyle blog? Do I do a cooking blog? I think food and drink was definitely more my niche just because it's just something I've always been really curious about. Mm. I've always kind of called myself an experiential explorer, not just with food, but just with travel. And when I'm going to different cities, I want to know, you know, where are the locals eating? You know, what's the best place to get, whether it's like a Philly cheesesteak or, you know, a pork out of sandwich or what have you, what's the kind of a ubiquitous thing that, that, 
that and it's, you know city's known for. It's also the only way to for me. It's the only way I travel at this point. Right. And it's not. It's not about you know. We know Philly cheesesteaks are like the big thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? What are the what do the locals eat though? What I mean, because they're eating the roast pork sandwich. They're eating. Um, they're eating Israeli food. Right. You know that that's the stuff that makes me like excited yeah. to go out and travel and do yeah. these things. For instance, I went to New Orleans recently, right. and I got a lot of great recommendations from Janine, from Avino, a lot of friends. Right. But even when we were in New Orleans, we got so many recommendations from the locals there and just people we met at the bars and that were serving us cocktails and said, hey, where do you like to go? What are some what of the non-touristy spots that we should hit up? Yeah, And so I think that was really what was born, you know, was kind of striving my passion was coming from just cur- being curious, loving food. And then as I started building the blog, I thought, you know what? Doing just kind of on-premise food and drink is something easy for me to focus on rather than trying to diversify or proliferate myself across all these different topics that are just going to make me tired to write about too much <laughs> stuff, right? <laughs> I, I think it's it's the thing I struggle with most is I I like too many things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really challenging it because... Is. Any of them could be full time, mm-hmm. uh, and I know you've got you know diverse interests. Obviously, you, you do a lot you know in around uh, wine and other things like that, mm-hmm. and your day gig still in your day yeah. gig still with uh, wine and spirits, right? Yeah, and so I think that was a natural fit too. So I work in the world of, of wine and spirits, but I'm also looking at consumer trends a lot. What's going on in the marketplace? What's you know what are the trends that are going to be in five years from now? And I uh, I get the luxury of traveling too, which has been something of more of an inspirational thing for me going to to different cities, seeing what they have going on over there and seeing things, how they're growing in Rochester and what they could be or what they are in comparison. Yeah. I think comparing is the, is one of those things that people don't always do um, appropriately to where we are in the, in the food and drink scene nationally. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I find it very interesting because it's one of those things that people have, I don't know if they've fallen into or it's just a natural order of things that people who live here want to think we're the best or think we're special in a lot of different ways where I think it's often more instructive and interesting to look at, hey, where where is everybody else and how are we the same and how are we different right. from these other cities? Um, because you can go to New Orleans or even places like Cleveland or Buffalo mm-hmm. that aren't that far away or Pittsburgh and look at, hey, what what are they doing different than here? What's better? What's worse? How can we be better at the same time? Exactly. I think it's it's just a great way to optimize and like dream big and look higher, right? Yeah. Like what is everyone else doing? Or even just kind of setting the stage for, hey, we're actually hitting the mark really high in th- these kind of areas, right? And yeah, there's a few, right? Yeah. So that's that's a feel good spot too. Like we were talking about coffee before. Yeah, I think absolutely. We're, we're doing a great job in the coffee scene within Rochester. Absolutely, think so. I mean, you've you've been to a lot of major cities, and you know, I've had a lot of coffee that's a lot worse <laughs> than what we have here. Yeah. In big cities, mm-hmm. um, and I think the hit rate's a lot lower too. Yeah. Um, and we're we're pretty dense in specialty coffee at this point. We're about to get another one too. Mm-hmm. And it's, I love seeing that. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me excited when I can tell people from anywhere that, hey, why would you, why would you come to Rochester? Well, come, come for coffee. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's been great too. Rory from Ugly Duck, whenever I've traveled too, I'm like, yeah. Rory, where should I go? I remember asking him, I'm going to San Francisco. What should I hit up? Uh, going to Texas, asking Ryan Baker from mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Meriki Coffee too. So it's been fun too to not only visit their spots, but then also see where they would go in different cities. Yeah, it's it's that chain. That question that you asked is my favorite thing to ask anybody: is where is your favorite place? Mm-hmm. And especially if you're eating in different places around town, and not just in, you know, your sub, you know, the uh, what do we want to say the it's not my lane necessarily. If I'm going to all these different places and I'm asking, what's your favorite place? I found some of the coolest places in town by asking that question. Yeah, for uh, sure. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think people need to ask more and you'll get, you'll get a lot of generic answers, but if you keep on asking, I think you find that you'll get to some of the really cool spots that nobody still knows about. I, I would suggest even going a little another layer further and oh, being I like, like hey, what's your favorite brunch spot or, mm. you know, what's your favorite, you know, cocktail place that we should try to? Because I find that 
a lot of a lot of readers ask me, what's your favorite all time place? And it's a really hard question to it answer. It, but if we're if you're putting it in the perspective of someone who's new to town, what are the top five places they should visit kind yeah. of thing? Right. And I think that's the easiest way to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's how I usually answer the question is you kind of rattle it off and then you try to dig one that extra layer deep and ask, what, what do you like? What are your favorite cuisines? Yes. And then then I can usually cater it a bit more. Because I'm just talking about the best of the best. Well, you know, I might give you a place you don't want to go to. Exactly. And it, it's really subjective, too, because... And I find that, too, what people leave comments like, I had a terrible experience with it, or I di- <laughs> really didn't like that sandwich. Yep. And I think it just... That's the beauty of experiences, right? Everyone's going to have vastly different experiences. An experience that you have on opening night of a restaurant versus like two weeks in could be, you know, very, very different and could totally change your perspective on the place. Yeah, do you so I'm I'm kinda interested. Now we're we're not gonna name places because you're not you're not a negative reviewer. <laughs> but I'm sure you've had you've gone into a place that has been popular, mm-hmm. has been hyped, and you've had what is a notably negative experience. Like what kind of things have you seen that have kind of popped for you when you have these bad experiences? What are what are the what are the underpinnings of a bad experience at a restaurant for you? Yeah, yeah. So I've been to, you know, for instance, you know, a tasting dinner that perhaps it was too big for their britches. Like oh. it was too many people and it just it should have been a much smaller, intimate kind of event, which I think to scale, they were just not used to that size. So when Mm. something like that happens, you know, the food can get kind of muddled and it's just not on part versus like if you just went with like your husband or wife for just a, you know, weekday kind of night dinner. Right. The pacing can get destroyed really quickly too. So I've seen that essentially happen. Um, You know, like when new places open, they're still kind of working out their kinks, working out their chefs even and and figuring out, you know, what's what menu items are going to stick or what's going to fall flat. And it's all kind of like test and run trial and error. So definitely have had that experience where not so great, maybe the first night, but I always give it another go around because I totally understand. It's not that I'm in the restaurant business, but it takes a village to open one. So Mm. It's a. It's definitely. There's always opportunity to get better, right? Yeah, I think there was, you know, a prime example that I noted recently um, that happened, and they they ended up changing chefs within the first few months, mm-hmm. and it made, as far as I'm concerned, a noted difference mm-hmm. in the place. Um, and I'm not, you know, I've I already talked to them about it a little bit, and <laughs> um, I think another one that I remember that was specific that. I remember when you were writing about it, I'm like, what in the hell is she talking about? <laughs> I, I went to the place when it near when it first opened, I'd say within the first few months, and it was Orbs at the time. Mm-hmm. I remember I went, it had to be in the first few months, I went a couple times, because meatballs were a thing at the time, and I went and I had experiences that I, I actively disliked. Wait. And then I... Which is fair, right? Yeah. Everyone's going to have both good and bad experiences. Yeah. And then I remember sitting out for a while, which is, you know, if I don't like a place, I'm not going to go back mm-hmm. or tell people to go there. And then I remember you started writing about it and I'm like, what in the hell is she talking about? <laughs> the place was terrible. And then I, I'm like, oh, oh, maybe she doesn't know what she's talking about. Maybe this, maybe that. And eventually I'm like, everybody keeps on saying good things. I'm going to go back. Mm-hmm. And David, they didn't fix everything that was wrong with the place. And it turned into one of the you know, a diverse place that had a lot of different brunch options mm-hmm. and the cocktail program was you know, like on point. Um, and everything that I disliked about the place had changed. Mm-hmm. And if I had stayed with my preconceived notions, I never would have gone back. Right. Even though I heard from different people. <laughs> I heard from you and I heard from other people. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll go back and I'll give it another chance mm-hmm. because they've they've put in the effort. They've changed what they were doing. And they've, they modernized what they did. Yeah. Hopefully that gave you a little more confidence in, in my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, We're better friends now. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you eventually you get to trust people's opinions on what they do. And it's you know, when you have personal conversations with somebody, you can get to understand their tastes a little bit better, too. And not everybody's going to get a chance to do that with you or anybody else. But, you know, when you've gone and had these experiences and they were you know, I had them. So I feel them more personally than somebody else telling me. And I hadn't sat down to eat with you before. I hadn't seen what you like and don't like. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, now like, Oh yeah, I get it. She's, she has the taste, you know, that I appreciate. And it's, it, it, it took time for me because I was, I was already, I had already established doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Oh, my thoughts are preconceived, which is not a great place to be when new things are popping <laughs> up all the time. <laughs> I, I think it's good though. I think you come in with like, you know, high expectations and, and, and you want to fulfill those expectations. And a lot of people come in that way too. And I think that is just a inkling for restaurants to get better, right? To your point, cocktail program, introducing new menus. Actually, my favorite things from orbs are, are not even the meatballs, which is kind of like what their concept is, is noted for. It ended up being more of the specials that they did or the fish fry that they did. Yeah. And I, I think it turned into that, neighborhood restaurant that that area needed you know there's a couple of those neighborhood restaurants now you know it's that you know slightly upscale hipstery neighborhood restaurant between that and uh buddha pub mm-hmm. um they filled that niche in that area that you know they kind of needed were these semi hipster upscale-ish neighborhood places and they've they've I think they coalesced into that vibe. And mm-hmm. the, the reason I bring up Orbs as an example is because we can use that in so many different areas of the city and look at, hey, what does this area need? And why why is this place opening? Or why is that place closing? Mm-hmm. Which there have been a lot of closings lately. Too. There have been. Yeah. And I think the biggest one was Two Vine. Not, not to make this one, a, yeah. a live news <laughs> podcast, but uh, this will be out a little bit after this happened. But, I mean, Two Vine closing is, you know, the biggest closing that's happened in geez, maybe six months um, in our area. That place was, you know, in a lot of ways, that landmark restaurant when things were changing in Rochester. It was before Good Luck. Mm-hmm. It was before the new style restaurants happened. Yeah, it was uh, something that kind of was such a gem, right, in the in that area, in the East End area. And when they came out, you know, everyone was super excited. Mary Chow actually wrote a really good article about kind of how they – over time, how they changed, how they were, you know, the pioneer in that era. And then once, you know, I think Tracy Schumacher said, like, people are looking for more casual kind of fare, casual kind of concept, lower prices, somewhere that they can come get pasta during the week and not have to, you know, pay an arm and a leg for. Right. And so they renovated and upgraded their menu, but still kept the staples like the chicken cutlets and, right. and the salads that, you know, everyone kind of uh, flocked over to. And I don't, it's it's a tough market out there, right? You it's know? really difficult. And although the renovations I thought were nice, I'd been to the old place. You know, it had, it had a specific vibe and the whole vibe of the place turned kind of generic mm-hmm. in, in its own way. And I, I don't want to, you know, completely criticize whatever they did there. That's not what I'm that's not really what I want to get at, but it had this vibe before, you know, they had these little pockets and mm-hmm. it had this, this, it had, it was maybe dated. I think that's maybe it's what it was. Maybe it was dated, but at the same time, by blowing out all the space and changing it completely from what it looked like before, I think that turned off a lot of the people who may have been going there for mm-hmm. 10 years or 15 years. Yeah, I think I think part of it was to just kind of delivering on expectations. I think, yeah. you know, people c- had memories and fond memories of going there and lines out the door and really good food. And mm. if they didn't deliver on the, what they had, you know, those preconceived notions that they had before, then, uh, you know, it, it was a tough, a tough time for them to overcome and overcome that hurdle. Yeah, because I, I remember we went to a couple of the preview events when they were retooling the menu mm-hmm. and... You know, it, it it was they were trying to be the modern restaurant. They were trying to be, you know, they're trying they're trying to play catch up with mm-hmm. with Nosh and you know Good Luck and all these new places that are that have these specific new vibes of menus. It's weird, like if you took took the words Good Luck off of Good Luck's menu, and you could see a lot of those dishes in all sorts of these different restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you took the name off of Two Vine, you looked at it, you're like, oh, this is this is this kind of restaurant it mm-hmm. was at the time. Um, anyways, it, it's, it was just, it was one of those notable closings that, you know, I didn't even go that often, but it still made an impact on me where I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a shame, but I think what I'm most interested in is what's going to go in there. Yeah. It's a great location. It's, it's right near hearts. It's right near ugly duck coffee. And it's, I think it's, it's ripe for opportunity. I know that location definitely needs something there to, yeah. uh, 
to increase the foot traffic over there. And I hope, you know, whoever takes it over, you know, takes advantage of the space and location, especially the littles right there too. Absolutely. So they need a, need a sister over there to, uh, to build them up with the good popcorn that's over there. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been going so much more to the little recently. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not that I'm getting sponsored or anything, but we got that uh, movie pass thing. Oh, see any good movies lately? <sighs> so many. I have to go make it over to the little. You know, we've been, we m- just moved into our new house, so we've been kind of hibernating in the new house and watching. <sighs> Actually, not even watching shows as much. Yeah. It's, it's funny, we've been sitting in front of the fireplace, you know, hanging out, having a good glass of wine, having a good cocktail. Chad loves to make good old fashions and, and Boy, Manhattan, so. That sounds idyllic, doesn't it? <laughs> No complaints on this one. And you know what? It's been so cold lately, too. So yeah. you need a good cocktail or a good glass of wine to warm Absolutely. Us up. Well, and I appreciate you bringing this one over. This is yes. very tasty. Um, this is, is this one of, your, one of your go-tos, you said, right? This is Mount Veter Cab Sauv. This is a, a wine that I, I work with in Constellation. It's a full-bodied Cabernet. It's, you know... Got some some dried blackberries, cherries flavors around there, and it's it's a nice cab, a nice solid cab. Yeah, it's it's one of those. Um, I've gotten a little more nerdy about wine over the last year or so, and it's one of those that is approachable. It's not it's not too much of anything. It's not crazy funky. It's not way too delicate. It's it's like that approachable rich red wine that's not. It's not like drinking a leather strap. Yes, um. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It, it's got some earthy notes to it, some yeah. some wet leaves, as you will. But it is definitely approachable. It's a good drinking wine. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think what we're gonna do is take a break, and I want to come back and talk a little bit about a um, little bit more about social media because I know you're passionate about that i am and that's another passion point for me yeah and i I don't want to give away all your secrets (laughs) but i I want to pick your mind a little bit and then uh, i'm sure we'll talk about some other food things so good stuff we'll be right back before we get back to this week's episode i'd like to take a second to talk to you about frankly that's p-h-r-a-n-k-l-y.com frankly is the best way to find out how your favorite local restaurants source their products and also how to find your favorite specialty goods you can check out restaurants like Joby and Coffee, Marty's Meats, search for them on Frankly and find out where they source their goods from, or you can check out your favorite specialty product like Guglielmo Sauce, search for them on Frankly and find out all the locations you can buy their sauce all over. That's Frankly, P-H-R-A-N-K-L-Y dot com. And we're back with part two. It's not even part two. This is, this is after the break with... Lynn Philbus from Sriracha says. Oh, uh, oh, that's that sounded <laughs> almost creepy. I liked it. That was good. Yes. So where where can people find you on your website and social media? Yes. So it's Sriracha says S I R Racha R O C H A says dot com. And you can also find me at, at Sriracha says on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look at that. Consistent branding. <laughs> right. One of the one of the number one rules. Be consistent. Be consistent, right? Yeah. So that's so one of the things I want to talk about after the break is um, social media is branding is all these things. And I, I know this crosses over into your day job, uh, but it's also something that I've seen you do a lot with some of your, um, what are you, your, your compatriots, your peers that do a lot of these similar things. Uh, the lifestyle people, the, um, I'm not, what do we, what do you call your group of people? I think, you know, everyone's kind of following their passion uh, yeah I, I would call them just my friends right yeah. <laughs> but they uh, a lot of my friends do have their own blogs or kind of their you know passions are pursuing whether it's full-time whether it's part-time and it's it's a great kind of network to be able to have that support system and just be a sounding board for you know the woes of the social media <laughs> life right you you and I know that life very well yeah is, I well, I'm going to speak for myself here I'd love to get some of your opinions on um, how to improve you know if you're trying to get a better social media reach if you're trying to be better about showing yourself online, regardless of what you're doing. This could apply if you're doing, you know, media things like a podcast, or if you're, you know, trying to get yourself a job or doing all these different things, how to, you know, portray yourself online more accurately and maybe a bit more public friendly at the same time. One of the things I struggle with is 
you know, I, I see there's a lot of success in social media and, um, uh, with, with the time that I spend on everything else, I don't dedicate enough time to work on the social media aspect of it. And I know that's a big part of being successful is spending the time. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the, t- it's a discipline, right? It's, it's setting the time aside. It's, uh, pouring into being consistent. Mm. And I think, and you'll hear time and time again from whether it's me or other brand strategists that consistency is key and consistency across not just when the cadence of when you're posting, but also like the tonality of your voice, the tonality of your messaging. And I think what has really helped propel on the social media side, at least from my perspective, is when I came in and started, you know, over three years ago was having a game plan, knowing building up content, knowing, you know, the, the type of content I wanted to work on one and two kind of the, how I wanted to express myself was something else that, that also really helped and not trying to be on LinkedIn or Google plus or all these different channels, but knowing, Hey, this is the target audience I want to go after. And these are the channels that they're going to be on. Yeah. I think that, I think that's important is knowing sort of knowing who you are. Um, that's something that, like I, I feel confident that I know who I am, that the the style of things I produce are similar. But I think the thing for me is that consistent. I struggle the most with consistency. Mm-hmm. Is that like I've got stuff, I've got pictures, I take pictures all the time. I'm, I have content I could post, and then you know you get home after a day of working full time, right? And then you're at you know either I'm at the the startup, I'm at the, a meeting for frankly. Or, you know, we go out to an event, you know, we go out to a lot of these kind of event things or I'm curling or whatever. And then I come home and I'm like, ah, I can't bring myself to do anything at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think it's a common thing that we all definitely fall victim to, right? Is having, trying to strike the right balance between a personal life and we're both doing this part time, but we also are working full time. So where do we carve out time? to be able to be active. And I think that's the same thing that businesses have to kind of have the same problem that they have to solve. So I think it's partly you can, there, there are scheduling apps that you can leverage if you want to, you know, if you don't want to post in real time and you want a scheduling app to do that, or you can just do the discipline and say, Hey, I'm going to just sneak away for five minutes. I already kind of prepped. I built my content calendar. I know exactly what I'm going to post. It's going to take me two minutes to post and then done, done and done. So I think it's maybe if anything, maybe just thinking about doing the legwork up front. So then when you actually have to post, it's doesn't take any effort or takes minimal effort. I, I think that's the thing I end up doing is I end up overthinking it instead of just posting. So I probably think about it longer than it would take mm-hmm. me to actually do it. Um. Yeah. And I, I think that's what we all <laughs> suffer from, right? Is this, is this picture good? Are people going to, is it going to resonate with others? Is it going to engage with them? Right. And I do the same thing where I can overanalyze or even just, you know, have my husband as my sounding board. How does mm. this look? What do you think about this? Uh, but I think what's helped me over time is, you know, thinking about it in advance and thinking about, well, is does this fit with my brand and taking the risk, even though I may think that other people might not think it's funny or, you know, as long as the the, <laughs> the quality is there and it is on brand for me, I will post it. And, right. and that's how are you ever going to get better if you don't kind of take those risks, right? Right. If you don't try something. So, how important is that font that everybody uses in all the posts <laughs> to make to get people engaged? Everybody uses this this weird font that shows up on everybody's pictures. Yeah. <laughs> I I think it's, you know, I mean it's not necessarily the font, but it's just about the imagery, right? right. Like people gravitate to something that looks good. And whether that's like a clean looking website or, you know, a a picture that's, you know, taken in good light and has good angles. And I think people just gravitate to something. For me, it's like, I want to post something that's mouthwatering and and salivating. So I don't think there's a hard and fast rule about you have to use this (laughs) font every time you you post something. But I mean, (laughs) I'm sure it works for some people, but I I don't have that rule. Yeah. You know the fonts I'm talking about. Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah. And it's one of those things that the more you look at the stuff, you you see the trends a little bit more. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, the over these few years of being so engaged with Instagram and everything mm-hmm. else, how things tend to go 
things tend to go in trends on there. They do. And, you know, I think what has been consistent for me is that I've always kind of just stayed true to my own voice and that I've always just posted the things that I liked and that I enjoyed. And over time, I did keep a pulse. I did keep a pulse on what people liked, what, you know, content they engaged with the most or what, what blog posts did really well or what blog posts didn't do so well. So that... When I looked at in in reflection, I thought about, hey, this is isn't working so well. What can I do to improve? And I'm gonna feed that in so that I can come out even better. And knowing that, you know, even though that content like maybe like fell short, I have other content that I know worked well that has opportunity. And so I think it's like that thing where it's like you're so hard on yourself. You're your own worst critic. And we just talked about this. <laughs> oh, you absolutely. feel like you're always failing at life, right? Yeah, all, all the time. Every Everything <laughs> I do, doesn't matter how good I actually am at it, I feel like I'm bad at everything I do. And I think that's normal. I think people get, you know, in their own heads. And I always tell people to, you know, celebrate the small victories. Sell, you know, don't compare yourself to the person who has like a million followers or even 10,000 followers. Like if you have a thousand really invested followers, I would rather have that than like 10,000 like subpar followers. And it's really hard when I live with somebody who has 10,000 <laughs> engaged followers. You the know, dude. Yeah. I mean, my, my wife has, she has 10,000 Instagram followers and she's got a, a lot of engagement. You know, people are commenting, they're, you know, posting, They'll even watch her live stuff, mm-hmm. which I'm like, I, she gets people to watch live stuff. I'm like, I can't, I can't even picture that. Yeah. And I think, and that's where you kind of fall into the comparison game, right? Oh, you yeah. know, like you constantly are comparing yourself to other people and like, why can't I have as many followers or why do they get these amount of likes and I don't? And I think that can definitely debilitate you yeah. and not just you, but other people. So no, and I've, I've fallen into that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it's, one I have of, fallen into that too many yeah. times. Yeah. And when, when it's, it's when you see everybody else, and I think it's, you know, you, once you get to know people, you you understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then you see all these, all the new people pop up. And you're like, really? Already? Yeah. Already three or 4,000 followers? Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. I think we live in a kind of society where it's so like real time, right? And you can, and people have this this notion in their heads that they're going to be this overnight success and overnight they're going to have 5,000 followers. And if, if they don't achieve that goal, then they haven't made it. Right. And it's, it's a hard thing, but I think when people ask me, Oh, you have like, you know, this amount of followers, like how can I do that? And I tell them that it, it takes time and it takes good content, quality content And it's also just, you know, looking and always looking to like refine yourself and make yourself better and being true to your audience and engaging with them. And I think sometimes we get so, so wrapped up in like just our own heads that we forget about like why we're doing things in the first place. So I always have to constantly remind myself, like, why did I even start this blog? You know, why, (laughs) you know, I, I love Rochester. I love the food and drink scene, you know, but it's, it's a thing where I'm like, why am I doing this again? But I, it's a rewarding, and, and I'm sure you can relate to this, when you get an email and someone just says, thank you for what you do. Like, it introduced me to this new restaurant, and because of you, I have explored this. Or if it's from, like, someone that you interviewed or wrote an article about, like, thank you so much. I appreciate what you're doing for the community. And then that in and of itself is, like, the you know it was what you're doing it for right yeah i think those are those are my favorite experiences Mm -hmm. i've had is you write something and then people go in there after and you go visit again they're like thank you for you know showing other people about this place Mm -hmm. my favorite thing about all this is when you you can introduce somebody to a cool new place yes and maybe somewhere that they wouldn't have gone normally Mm -hmm. that makes me super excited um and speaking of which we're gonna pivot off of social media because i can you know, self-interestedly, <laughs> self-interestedly, that's definitely not a word, but I'm going to use it anyways. Um, <laughs> um, let's self-interestedly. Talk a, yeah, it's definitely not a word. Um, let, let's talk about the Rochester scene. Okay. So you've been, you've been running in the scene for three years now. We've gone to a lot of events. We have. We've seen a lot of things come and go. Yes. What are the kind of things that you've seen here in Rochester that have made you excited? I mean, we talked about Nosh. We talked, mm-hmm. you know, about, you know, the 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 passing of Tuvine. But what are some of the other things you've seen that have kind of grabbed your interest over the last few years? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And 
you know, one of the things that pops top of mind is, I think, for instance, Fiorella. Right? Yeah. Fiorella is is a great restaurant that opened up, and I talked to you about before, just concentrating on on the simplicity of like good flavors, good ingredients, and I think they are a great kind of testament to just using using naturally. And I know you're a pizza nerd. I um, am. Using naturally Levendo, and they are one of my my favorite places. But they consistent consistently deliver good food. Whether it's like cacio e pepe or whether it's like a mortadella pizza, um, I always know I can go there and have a great meal. And I think that is one of the keys to some of sustaining some of these restaurants is just consistently delivering. Because right. if you go there and you don't get what you are expecting, or the second time you go, it's god awful. <laughs> yeah, it can it can steer you in the wrong direction. Well, so. isn't, isn't it also great to when you recommend a place to somebody? And that you know they're going to have a good time. Yes, for sure. And I think that's that's the highlight of, of what we get to do, right? And yeah. people come to us, they want to know our POV and perspective. And when they go and it surpasses their expectation, it just makes you feel really good that you <laughs> recommended somewhere that, you know, either exceeded their expectations and they just, they had a feel good experience. Right. So, I mean, how, how do you balance your perspective over what people like? Ooh, that's a good one. I I think this has this was a hard one for me when I first entered this this kind of realm of blogging and talking to other people and having those kind of controversial conversations because people would come and they would very easily get angry or aggressive if I didn't post their favorite brunch spot or if I didn't post their favorite sandwich spot or writing a message and say I totally disagree with you and I think for that, I, I appreciate other people's opinions. L- like I mentioned, I work in the world of wine. Everyone's palate is very different. And everyone will, whether I can tell you, you're going to like this $50 bottle of wine. But there's no, you know, there's there's no guarantee that you're going to like it. Because you and I could have very different palates, much to, to the next person. Very subjective. Very subjective. And I think food generally is subjective. It is. And I think that's what I've come to learn over time <clears throat> is that, you know, people will have different experiences than you and you can recommend and you cannot emulate that same exact experience that you had. Yeah. And you can only hope that they will get the same experience, but if they don't, then, you know, that that's that's the great thing about experiences. They can either choose to go again and try it for another time or they can, you know, maybe that's just not the place for them and that's okay. And that's the kind of stance I've taken with the blog too. I'm not going to be for everyone and that's okay with me. I think the challenge for me is if they get the exact same experience that you had and they don't like it. Yeah. I find that very challenging because, I mean, my perspective is that it's okay for them to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, I know it's, <laughs> it's not the way everybody's going to phrase it, but it's, it's okay for them to be wrong. I mean, I, you know, there, for me, there, there are hard and fast rules that things should be done correctly. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you like it a different way. It's all right that you're wrong. It's fine. And you should you should always go and get what you enjoy, you know. If you enjoy this specific thing, um, you know, if you're if all you drink is you know you know rum and commercial you know commercial rum and cokes, and you really like you know ag grade things, and this is this is what you like, <laughs> great. Go enjoy TJ Fridays and your rum and coke and have a good time. You're wrong. It's okay, <laughs> but you, it's okay, and it, it's you should still do what you enjoy, and just because how you interpreted a great meal at Fiorella or somewhere else, well, it doesn't doesn't reduce how good that place actually is. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, and I think about it in terms of wine, too. There's different segments of people, right? You're going to have your, your more enthusiasts, your connoisseurs, people who really enjoy the shopping experience, like to get to know the nuances behind the regions and the appellations and the terroirs and everything like that. They really, like, love that discovery portion. Or you have someone who's just like, give me what's on sale, yeah. right? And I think that's the same the same thing that we can think about with food, too. People are going to come in and they are hard-headed. They only like, like, you know, a certain type or style of food. And you bring them to a different restaurant and they're like, well, didn't really care for it. That's that's they use too bold of flavors or maybe they were, you know, like put, they pushed the borders too much and it wasn't approachable enough for them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I find the topic endlessly interesting because shockingly, I have strong opinions about it. 
Um, <laughs> Weird. I, I can't imagine you having so, a strong opinion about So anything. surprising. <laughs> um, here, here's another one that I'm interested in your take on is uh, what how I would refer to as traditional flavors. Um, not necessarily using the term authentic because I, I've tried to shy away from using that term mm-hmm. because I'm not an arbiter of authenticity. Yeah. But um, edging towards it's more... It's an tr- overused term. I, I will admit that. I, and I think especially in the... It's in the in the food space. Like it's probably like similar to farm to table. You kind of like cringe a little bit, like hearing that word one more time. Right? I know I do, <laughs> um, especially since I'm 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 not. If I'm talking about, I'll use an example. If I'm talking about like you know Mexico City style street food, I from what I understand to be traditional flavors. Mm-hmm. This is what I enjoy. Yes. Now I don't live in Mexico City. I've never been to Mexico City. Mm-hmm. But through research and experience and going to different places, I think I have a decent read on some of the style of food. How do you, I know you have knowledge of some traditional cuisines. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you you have, uh, your parents traditionally cooked yeah, Vietnamese I, food? Yeah, I'm Vietnamese, 100%. Um, grew up eating both Vietnamese and American style food. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely like, you know, have had my share of been to Tokyo and have been to, you know, different parts of Europe. And, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I think definitely those experiences lend themselves to what I envision as traditional food. But I think similar to you having, you know, friends growing up with roommates, like who had parents straight up, straight out from like South Korea and going to their houses or friends from grad school eating like those traditional type of flavors, like you start to, explore and diversify your palate and get to know what those flavors actually are. And I think that's, that's the great thing about being exposed to that. Like, I think you have this picture in your head of like, you know, like I kind of take it back to growing up and you, you tried Chinese for the first time, right? I remember. (laughs) Yes. And you're like, oh man, this is the best Chinese food I've ever had. And then you get to know Chinese food or Thai food and whatnot and know the different dishes and the flavors. And so if, if we're asking like what my kind of take on that is, I think it's just getting the exposure to it, like going to different cities, trying their style of Laotian food or Thai food or Vietnamese or Korean and what have you. And, and getting more familiar and just, you know, food shows and books and everything, like just getting that brain food and getting to understand the different, the differentiation between between the different kind of like cuisines. Yeah, I'm going to rotate back because I what you brought up actually rang rang true to my experience here. <laughs> is you know as a kid, you know, my my family's you know white bread when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, my my family's taste. Mm-hmm. You know some some good stuff, but things are things were boring. And of course, we had Americanized Chinese food when we were kids because who did it, right? It's, who it's, didn't have Americanized Chinese food? Applebee's. Yeah, it's, you the, know. it's the white Americanized. Tully's. Yeah, Americanized <laughs> Chinese food is the whitest, some of the whitest food in the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, I remember when I got out of school, I, I'm a bit of an obsessive when it tr- comes to trying to find the best of things. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically, I went around and I've tried to find the best Americanized Chinese food in town. You know, trying to try the different the dishes at different places and which one's the best, which one's doing things this way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I can see the inklings of where I was going when I was doing that. I could not go back and eat all that food because <laughs> I would hate it. Yes. <laughs> but at the time it was, you know, I was trying to optimize. I was trying to find the best of what was around. And I can see that. I can see the, the bones of where I was going. And I was doing it with uh, with takeout pizza and <laughs> and Americanized Chinese food, none of which is good for my health nor for <laughs> um, nor for actual good flavors. But it, it, it's that trying. I, I so what I, did you find? Oh, We're you, all cu- curious minds yeah. want to know. No, you know what? Some of the some of the better Americanized Chinese food I liked. Um, I liked Yummy Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's hot pot. Yeah, no, no, it was well before the hot okay. pot. This, this is the this is the grimy Monroe Ave location. Oh, gotcha. This is like OG Yummy Garden. Oh yeah, we're talking. This is well before the hot pot. <laughs> um, before they had the more traditional place. Mm-hmm. Um, that was you know old school Yummy Garden or Lynn's Garden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the everything's in ten minutes and everything's six hours kind yep. of place. 
Um, MSG loaded. Oh. <laughs> hey, d- we we shouldn't give a bad name to MSG. <laughs> no, 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 not MSG is delicious. It is delicious, <laughs> and it that's what makes really good Americanized Chinese food too. Oh, it's so. so good. And speaking of MSG, um, I don't know. Do you experiment with cooking Chinese food or anything like that? I do. I don't. You know, I do like. With Chinese food, I, I do stir fries and things like that. Mm. I don't do like super like nuanced kind of Chinese food. Yeah. Um, but I think per se, I would just do different styles like Thai food or Vietnamese food. And then some of the recipes that are like 10 ingredients or less kind of thing is kind of more up my alley. <laughs> Me too. I'm not a fancy cook. I, I like trying different things, but I'm not a fancy cook. Um, but I was exploring with um, Petra from... Uh, uh, fruition seeds, and we found mushroom powder Ooh. at uh, one of the Asian markets, and it's it's powdered mushroom, salt, and mushroom extract. Ooh, and mushroom, mushroom is all the rage. Reishi oh. is an adaptogen that is like very. There's a cafe in LA that is all mushrooms really? oriented. So all the foods and smoothies and everything they make has mushroom in it. It's supposed to promote immortality. That sounds like nonsense, <laughs> um, but it's also the kind of place I'd probably really enjoy because it's probably delicious because yeah. I love mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Well, there um, you go. In all their forms. And this mushroom powder is basically concentrated mushroom, which is umami, which is MSG. Mm-hmm. And I think they extracted MSG from mushrooms too. So it's like mushroom MSG salt powder. And it's so good. <laughs> it's so it good. It sounds like a guilty pleasure. For oh, you, it's so good. And I, I started using it in like little stews and soups and things mm-hmm. I've made with uh, more traditional Chinese ingredients. Oh, I will have to try it out. I do enjoy going to the Asia market and like just kind of going through the, the different alleys and like trying the different foods in the front. It's so too. cool, it's isn't just, it? It's fun. It just brings you to kind of like another world. Yeah. Um, hmm. What was I thinking? We were talking about traditional food. And, oh, I think the last thing I wanted to talk about, because I don't want to let this go on forever, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like my episodes with Adam Wilcox that will come <laughs> out before this, um, because we'll we'll come back and we'll do this another time. And Adam's mm, good people. Yeah, a- absolutely. And we won't do as much history and background, <laughs> but um, when it comes to being in the public eye, when it comes to being in media, how how much more comfortable have you become and when, when when you get the chance to see where we're going, do you think you have an influence on where things are going right now? Do you do you think like the way you do things? Do you think it has a influence on how Rochester's changing? I think if you would have asked me that question three years ago, I pr- I would have said no, absolutely yeah. not, right? Uh, but I think with how I've seen the blog and just the platform take off. I, I would be crazy not to think that I don't have some type of influence. I'm not saying that I am dictating everyone, but I do think for my audience, I do have an influence in telling them new places or new things to try or, you know, getting them excited about different places in Rochester for sure. Um, your initial question was asking about, what was that question again? <laughs> I, I was, I was figuring out the question while I was spitting out lots of words. Um, and I think I was trying to think about, you know, oh, being comfortable. As, yes. Yeah, I mean, okay. you're you're comfortable with being an influence, a real influencer, not just. We can all use the term. Hey, we're all influencers. Yeah, yeah. But I, you're, you you you've gotten you have an actual influence on the direction of where things are going right now, and how do, how does that equate yourself equate equate? That's a terrible <laughs> way of saying that. How how does that all work inside of you with somebody who has worked through all these things? Yeah, I think the comfort level took some time to getting used to. I think uh, for me, you know, you're your own worst critic. Self-doubt starts to bleed in your head. And so I think initially I didn't think I was making that much impact. And as I've kind of built the blog a little bit more and gotten confident in my own skin and my own voice, I have realized that it is much more impactful than and grown to be much more impactful than I would have ever anticipated. And knowing that, I think, also comes with the responsibility to, and my core mission is just to help people fall in love with Rochester, right? And so I think, you know, I help aid in that. Am I the only person who helps influence that? 
no, I mean, we have a great community, right? I think of just sitting here having this conversation with you, uh, thinking to like the people who are striving to build Rochester into a better city. There's a lot of opportunity. We talked about different, comparing ourselves to different like metro cities. And, you know, I think that like, I just want to continue to put that effort out. There's more to be done and there's more things to grow. And I, I'm not done with it yet. So I think uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm definitely humbled by how much, you know, how much kind of receptivity that it's gotten. But at the same time, it's definitely seeding into why I started it in the first place. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great way to end it. That's, that's a, it's a hopeful look at, you know, how, how we can all make a difference if we put in the effort and work on our branding and be consistent <laughs> with all the things we do. But also bringing, I, I think one of the things that has resonated with everybody is how much you do care about the food and how much you really want to make people excited. And I think that authentic, the authentic way you do portray everything and having spent time with you, uh, seeing that passion firsthand, it really does come across in the way you do things. And I think everybody sees that, which is why you should definitely check out Sriracha Says on the <laughs> website, on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and yell at Lynn and tell her why she's doing everything <laughs> wrong. Um, but also, you know, celebrate what she's doing well and um, give her new places to go to. She's always looking for new stuff, I'm sure. I am always looking for new places. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. It is an honor to be part of the best local podcast here oh, in Rochester. Oh, thank you so much. And knowing that we're having this conversation, this dialogue, it means a lot. So I, I had a lot of fun and um, we'll definitely be back again for more food talk here on the Food About Town podcast. Cheers. Thank see ya.